All right, everyone, we're here to talk about the Yeah, We Know podcast. Well, first off, I want to say belts are just changing hands left and right here. Yeah, we know. If you came through the WWE and wanted to be a big-time deal, you had to go through The Undertaker for, what, about 20 years, Jimmy? Yeah, we know. Jimmy, are they screaming RK-Bro, or are they screaming Randy, Randy, Randy? Yeah, we know. It's Seth freaking Rollins. Show the man his respect. The Yeah, We Know podcast. Find it in this feed. Part of the Morgan Knows Podcasting Network. Hi, my name is Van, and you're listening to my daddy's podcast, The Morgan You Know. I uh, love the show, and you should check out my buddy Rod Morgan's pod, The Morgan You Know, as I'm confident he's trying to make some waves on the scene. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We did it. Welcome. To a very special edition of the Morgan You Know podcast. We are not officially numbering this. We are calling this an addendum to our Tom Cruise celebration because we are about to spoil Top Gun Maverick. But I just want to start there. America, we did it. We finally agreed on something we all loved. We sincerely enjoyed something together as a collective. And didn't it feel good? Didn't it feel wonderful to get back to the cinemas be in a crowd where everybody wanted to see the same thing. It didn't matter if you or them thought differently about all other things that have been so prevalent in American society. But for one weekend, we all sat in a space together and wanted one thing and one thing only. And my goodness, did it deliver. We are about to spoil the heck out of Top Gun Maverick. And to help me do that is my wingman always <laughs> in life and on this podcast, the Mrs. Morgan, you know. Hello. Hello. Kate Morgan. I should have said that. I should. I'm so giddy. I'm so giddy. <laughs> Two people are back. We had him on before Top Gun Maverick. One of them has seen it twice already. And the second surprised us all and decided to see it. I'm going to go to him now in North Carolina. Mr. King, I thought you were going to sit out the Top Gun Maverick experience and you went. Explain yourself. Uh, I, I wanted to be part of the saving of American movie uh, blockbusters. And I think I think we accomplished that, Rod. I mean, what was it? 156 million opening weekend broke every Memorial Day opening weekend ever. Yep. Nearly day total. Nearly 300 million dollars worldwide, and almost a world away out in Arizona. He's the man who's seen it twice. It's our guy Matt Roberts, Mr. Roberts. Hello. Hello. When a movie's so nice, you see it twice. It was just. Uh, it was a good time. I, I think I helped save cinema more than Chris. I don't really want to take any more credit, but, you know, he didn't see it twice. <laughs> I would, listen, we all know that you and Chris, you have a little bit of a competitive relationship and you one upped him yet again. So I think that that's absolutely wonderful. And I'll just point out to the listeners that Mr. Roberts is in our recording room here as fanboy. So completely appropriately naming himself for the Top Gun Maverick podcast. Joining us, though, is a surprise guest who let me know on Facebook that he saw the movie and he loved it. And he's someone who, frankly, can challenge me for talking just as fast as I can at times, but we love him anyway. He's been great on the podcast many times before. It's our guy, Jeff Van Vactor. Jeff, hello. What is up, Morgan You Know Nation? Hey, it's good to be here. I'll slow my roll and talk real slow. But no, uh, no, it was uh, it was a phenomenal movie. Uh, my wife actually was the one that was excited to see it as much as I was. So we're looking, looking forward to... Uh, Another round, seeing it three, four times, get the kids along for this. So um, nothing but excitement um, seeing this uh, movie, movie that we've been anticipating for for years. And here it was. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it impressed. 
Here's a question that is not on the outline. How many applause breaks broke out in the theaters that anybody was in? Because I personally started two in our theater room. There were two that I started. He is lying to you. He started three. (laughs) Two two other people in the audience caught on to and started cheering as well. And then the third, it was just Rod. (laughs) We had a couple uh, applause breaks in. They weren't widespread, but there were a few like spattered people through that just kind of threw out some some small applause. And then, of course, you know, the ending there was there was a little more applause throughout the audience. I mean, listen, I was going crazy just from the moment that Tom Cruise appeared on our screen to welcome us. I was like, "Hey, Tom, what's up, buddy? Thanks, I'm here. Let's do this." There were Chris, no, what you think? There were no applause breaks in in my theater. There were quite a few uh, chuckles and laughs though throughout the thing. Uh, it was definitely you could definitely tell everyone enjoyed their time in there. Oh, it was it was so much fun. It was great to see Tom there just opening up, you know, giving us a, a comeback to the movie. And that lets you know, I think, a little bit of what you're in for there, right? Like that's how hard this man is working to make sure everybody enjoys the thing that he is about to put up on screen to the point of he's going to just film himself welcoming you, right? You never see that in a movie, and Tom's like, Well, listen. This is how worried about it I am, so I think maybe I should welcome everybody in. And then when you know that, you're like, okay, what in the world is this guy about to do for the next two hours and 11 minutes of the movie? I'm just going to give a quick little overview here, and then we will move on to some in-depth questions. We open on our hero of court, Pete. Of course, Pete Mitchell, a now highly decorated captain, 30-some years following his first appearance at Top Gun as a test pilot attempting to break the speed of any other pilot in a plane. He wants to become the fastest man alive, trying to reach Mach 10 in the Dark Star. The Navy is, of course, still unhappy with his rogue behavior, but tells him he must return to Top Gun to teach a variety of new Top Gun graduates how he does what he does. When we learn the mission, an unnamed enemy is illegally enriching uranium, an incredibly ambitious team of pilots is required to take out the target. Relationships are retold and unfold throughout, and flashbacks of original scenes tell essential stories that continue in the film. The mission is ultimately executed when Pete Mitchell, Maverick himself, is the team lead. He again achieves redemption. Applause ensues. That's basically the movie there. Mr. Roberts, would you add anything? I mean, I don't know how you leave out... You know, a beach football scene. <laughs> I mean, that's what the people want to hear about is shirtless dudes oiled up and one lady just going after it in the sand. And like, why jeans? Oh, and I, that was my initial reaction was there's so much denim. There's just denim everywhere on the beach. Who's wearing denim on the beach? Like denim when it gets wet is not comfortable. And I don't really think it kind of enhances your athletic performance. So I question the decision-making there. But other than that, no, I think that was a pretty good overview. I must say quick shout-out to that scene. I appreciate how this time around in an attempt to try to make it not just seem completely cheesy, you're told they're building a team, right? Like we get John Hamm out angrily again looking at Maverick. What's going on? Why are you not in the classroom? You don't have that much time. And he's like, you told me to build a team. And we're like, of course. Maverick doing Maverick things, still getting the beach football game happening. Let's uh let's start here though. We all we all loved the movie. We thought it was great. How about let's let's we'll 
Let's do uh, the cast, right? Let's talk about some of our favorite. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I'm not going to start there yet. Let's do the original music because I love that opening. Let's just start there chronologically from the opening, right? We're, we're, we're Kenny Loggins again. You see the 80s font. You see Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer. That was one of the first times I started almost applause. That was just a little mini one I did just quietly <laughs> to myself. But I was like, Simpson, Bruckheimer. I haven't seen that in years. Mr. Van Vactor, did you think somebody messed up and just pressed play on a DVD up there? Or did you dig seeing the complete nostalgia play right from the beginning? Well, I mean, if they wanted to go completely nostalgic, I mean, that would have been the ultimate power trip right there. Just uh, going complete old school Top Gun and then just playing it throughout. But uh, no, it was uh, – no, the, uh, the the mini applause, uh, actually, that that in our theater uh, down around Indianapolis, it actually erupted in applause when that started. So uh, good old – Really? For Simpson Bruckheimer? Yeah. Nice. Well, no, I mean, I, well, I mean, you know, like like you said, uh, Cruz is rocking the stage, uh, welcoming everybody there, and then and then unleashes. And you know, I think uh, the Gen Xers and even the the uh, older millennials out there were definitely uh, waiting for this in anticipation. So it was kind of a kind of a a big relief of okay, we're about ready to see something that's going to be awesome. And you know, you heard the hype, and then you're actually seeing it, and you're part of that experience. So that was that was. Uh, Kind of where we were at in, in our uh, experience uh, along the way. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about test pilot Maverick. Uh, Chris, were you worried a little bit when we saw Mav kind of looking basically like a like he's gearing up to go to space, right? I mean, we're doing Mach ten. Were you a little worried about this? This isn't what I want to see my Maverick doing. Were you a little worried about that? No, it really made sense to me. Um, what else is a late forty, early fifty Navy pilot that can't go above? captain gonna do besides be a test pilot you know he's the one that essentially is expendable in the navy (laughs) so i completely bought that and he would be the one to fly uh like an sr-71 or whatever they want to call it uh to mach 10 i don't think anybody else would be willing to get in that cockpit other than maverick Mr. Roberts, were you, was one of the times where you got already adrenaline pumping in your veins is when he started doing Maverick things and trying to push it to Mach 3 and ultimately exploding that plane where you're just like, yep, still the same old Mav. Yeah, but I mean, I have to jump back to the beginning a little. I mean, the first, what, three minutes of that movie were identical yep. to the original Top Gun, which was great. I loved how they kicked that off. That got my juices flowing. But really, when Tommy Boy, you know, puts the wrench down, he kind of glances around, sees all the pictures, and then gets the jacket out of the locker. When the jacket came out, I was like, okay, here we go. And then what's the next scene? Pull the curtain off the old Kawasaki 86 Ninja. Like, (laughs) that was just to me, like, we are in this. Uh, That's when uh, I think I was peak um, family friendly. I was peak happy. Yeah, it was. It was the first three minutes of the movie set the stage, including the text that was on the screen explaining the Top Gun program. And then all of that coupled with the music that was chosen in the original score and then showing Maverick putting on the jacket, showing the pictures, having a little bit of nostalgia on his bike. Like we were set up from the beginning to succeed with this movie. and, And they were setting us up to know, hey, look, we're all going to have a really good time with this and we're going to deliver on what we wanted to give you two years ago pre-pandemic. And now here we are. Yeah, I like that Mrs. Morgan, you know, just honed in on deliver here, right? I think the thing that's key about this movie is it knows its assignment, right? It doesn't get tripped up on any geopolitical stuff. It doesn't even get tripped up on naming an ultimate villain, right? All you want to do is see these guys up in planes, flying, doing cool things 
triumphant over the enemy, right? They're not even necessarily ever called the evil. They're always just referred to as the enemy, you know? So I just, I think that it's, it's perfect from that standpoint. I want to ask this before we start honing in on a few more plot points. Do you believe that this ultimately was a better movie than Top Gun, the original? Because I've heard that thrown out an awful lot. And I kind of wonder what, uh, what, what you three think of that. I personally think that it was an excellent movie. I'm not sure that I would have have gotten as choked up, literally choked up several times watching this movie had I not seen the first and having that nostalgia hit me. I think, of course, the CGI, the actual flying, the dogfighting, I think all of that was better because they could do so much of it and film so much of it. Um, but I, I do think that the first one was important to people, especially in our age group and above, who have who enjoyed the original and maybe that was their first introduction to Tom Cruise like we talked about in the first podcast. I mean, in my in my Did- personal opinion, I mean, and, and I hate to say this because I'm probably going against our generation. I mean, I liked it better. And, ooh, I mean, you know, cast stones if you will, but um, I, I just thought that the flow was – it was like a symphony. It was it was just very to the point, and I like what you said, Rod. I mean, they they didn't try to like they didn't try to fake it. They didn't try to go above and beyond. Or I mean, it was it was to the script of what this movie needed to be. So, in my humble opinion, over here, um, I'm actually I'm actually uh, Team Maverick, uh, Top Gun Maverick on this one. So that's that's where I'm at. Now, what, you said you took your kids, right? What did they think of it? And had they seen Top Gun? No. First? So um, much like you, because you guys took the Banimal, right? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. So we we did not take our kids. Our kids were actually out of town. So Alyssa oh, and I okay. had a little bit of a date night with some of our friends. So, but no, after watching it, we're like, no, Reed, who's our, who's my youngest, I was like, he would love this. So, um, you know, not and it, we don't re- even really need to prime the pump you know, of showing him the first one. I mean, it's just, it's something you can introduce and, you know, and granted they pepper in the nostalgia pieces for it. But I mean, I think young and old, if you hadn't seen the first one, I think there are some, some definitely not even real Easter eggs to say the least, but I mean, there are definitely tells where it's like, if you watched the first one, if you grew up in that, that era, then it was like, kind of like a, a salute to you. But if you didn't, you still, you still got a great movie out of a great movie experience out of the whole thing. So that's why I'm looking forward to my kids. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. Van Van really liked the fight. I mean, and, and uh, you know, all the piloting. He loved all of that. You know, there were some slow pieces that, of course, he's not going to dig. He's 10. Um, but but he certainly didn't need to see the first one to appreciate the second one at all. Chris, kinda, you're, the, you're the old man of this podcast. Where do you come down on this? You can't have Maverick without Top Gun. Um. I think so. Part of me, I think the nostalgia of the original will always keep it up. But I'll say this I'll probably be willing to watch this more than I was willing to watch the original. And it's mainly because of the cinematography, the stunt coordination, Mm -hmm. the stuff that they were able to do in 2020, 2019 that they couldn't do in 1985. It's just so much more like you are in the cockpit. You are feeling Tom Cruise hit those G's every time he flips the plane to the side to go around another bend. Like, it is phenomenal in-plane or in-jet cinematography, and you feel every every bit of it. It was great. 
Mr. Roberts, let me let me say this real quick, and we'll ask you the same question, but let me kind of frame it this way as well. Like, is the the originals just it's a bit it's a bit darker, right? It's a bit heavier at times, and do you think that that's sort of at play here? Um, yeah, it is definitely darker, but I, I don't know if that has anything to play with this. I think this was just a really well done movie that everybody can enjoy, but to me, it will never top the original. I mean, I think I've I might have watched Top Gun the original movie more than any other movie on the planet. So it just, it just is one of my favorites, so it won't replace it, but I don't think they could have made a better sequel. Like, I don't think there was anything they mm-hmm. could have done that would have made it better for me. I got, I got one thing. I, I, I got one thing that I will mention, but we're not going to get to any of that. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that for the end. We're gonna, still going to have a, we're going to have a big time uh, love fest about this, but let's, uh, let's go into some of the other cast here. Let's talk about, uh, Mav is sent back to Top Gun. Our guy Iceman is the admiral. He's pulling some strings, getting Mav back to take over Top Gun. We meet John Hamm, who is essentially kind of our – he's our Viper. He's our Jester this time around, if you will, right? I mean, Viper certainly ends up being a lot more on Maverick's side by the end, but Jester's pretty hard with him most all the movie, and that's certainly where John Hamm is here. And then we meet a whole bunch of new youngsters. Uh, Mr. Van Vactor, who was the who was one of the youngsters that resonated the most with you out of uh, Mav's students there? Well, I mean, I mean, really, is this low-lying fruit to, to say rooster um, on that? Because I mean, you know, sorry, sorry that I'm sorry that I'm going for uh, the the grand slam on this one, but in regard to that character right there, to tie him in with Goose, and I mean, the it just uh, granted, I, I could get choked up here talking about the nostalgia of it, but the the way that they. We're, we're weaving that in. So you still had, you saw the old with the new. That, that to me was a, a strong connecting point, if you will. Not only for, you know, good old, good old Pete, but also for that to be part of the, the playbook for this to be successful. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and granted, even, even within Rooster, the, the character himself, like you had some, some character development there that you're like, okay, well, where is Meg Ryan here? And so you kind of, you learn, you learn that aspect throughout the, the journey. So um, he's a very rich character in my opinion. And, and so he's one of my favorites. So sorry about your luck, everybody else. But uh, you know, I, I kind of swung the swung for the fences on that one. No, Miles Teller is amazing. I think he does a wonderful job in this, in this movie. And I think he looks exactly like Goose. I think one of the scenes that made me the most nostalgic for the original was the scene with him in the bar toward the beginning playing Great Balls of Fire on the, on the piano. And I just thought it was really well done. I also very much enjoyed his character and I thought he did a great job playing it. Uh, Mr. King, we'll go to you. Who caught your uh, interest? That's, that's that, that bar scene, right? That's where we meet all of them basically for the first time. Who else caught your uh, interest right away of, uh, of the of the Mav students? I was a big Bob fan. Nice. But yeah, I of really, course you uh, were. <laughs> I really enjoyed Bob. It was great. He kind of went against the grain, but like he got his job done, and like he kept that laser on the target as he was blacking out from those G's. Like Bob's the man. Bob, Bob is definitely the man. I think uh, I think that's cool. I think his call sign being pretty uh, just basic and bland, uh, that speaks to you as well. Kate, how about you? Who's somebody that uh, instantly you were like, oh, who is this? I loved Hangman. And I loved Hangman because I also very much enjoyed Iceman in the original two. Because these characters are painted as being such assholes. 
but they both make the same points in both movies, and that's that folks can be too cavalier when they're up in the air. Iceman calls Maverick out on that in the first one. Hangman calls out Rooster in that in this one. And they make excellent choices and, and decisions and, and when they're talking about safety and how important it is. And I think that they're cocky because they're that good and they can be. And so I also Hangman is easy on the eyes. Like he's real easy on the eyes. And I, I enjoyed his character a lot. Yeah, shout out Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell, I think, is unfortunately, he's a sort of a semi-casualty here, right? In that he's going to have a breakout from this, but he was kind of dying sort of when because Top Gun Maverick got filmed so long ago, right? Like we've had like a four-year period basically since he like actually filmed this movie and he hasn't been able to have another one that kind of resonated with anybody. So it's going to be a big bring back for him because, yeah, he was great. And now, Mr. Roberts, I know I'm giving you the last pick here, but you have seen it twice. So I'd like to think that maybe you, you your perspectives are open on somebody we're all missing here. Well, I, I kind of hate Chris because he took what I was going to say, um, but I, I think I have a different take on why I liked Bob in this group. Um, I think it showed a huge difference in these cocky, know-it-all, I-can-fix-everything, and then you yeah. see this guy that just kind of falls in the background. Um, I use this term very loosely, almost frail compared to these guys, and almost that these are young men and women going out across the country doing the most dangerous shit on the planet. And you have these guys that have trained for it. They look like it their entire life. And then you got a guy who's, for lack of a better term, the the weapons nerd. And I thought that was just a really cool play on the types of characters, the types of people that make this stuff happen. We just also, we just have to kind of, we have to shout this out here, right? Like we, of course, have, uh, we have Hollywood in the original. <clears throat> And that's about it. And we have no women other than Charlie, the instructor, in the original. And this time around, we have we have multiple ethnicities represented here. We have uh, we have the female. What was her call sign? I'd forgotten that. Phoenix. Yeah, Phoenix. She's a uh, Phoenix. Does some great work. And just, I mean, how great was it? These cocky kids all think they're going to put the grandpa in his place, and Mav just starts dusting them. I mean, literally, I thought that my head was going to explode at that point, and that I was probably not going to be able to last for the rest of the movie. How excited I was when we saw Mav in that cockpit. And, I mean, they made such just, a big deal about him being inverted him in the first movie. I mean, how many times do we get him inverted in this already? I was right? going crazy. Chris, what do you say? Oh, it was fantastic. From that first scene, they're talking crap about him, and he just – blows right between them like right they're right next to each other no one besides maverick would ever attempt that in the first place and he instantly just starts killing them one after another they can't do anything and he just flies circles around them from the get-go it was phenomenal i loved every minute of it we see a lot of people doing push-ups on the on the runway uh floor here after going down to mav and all these bets and uh you know we just we see that Maybe, maybe this old dog still has uh, something to teach these people. Let's talk a little bit about Mav's journey here, right? Do we think that Mav could have gotten to the place that he got into at the end of this movie without, I'll ask a couple of different ways, right? Without Jennifer Connelly and without the students, right? I think both of those relationships make Mav reevaluate possibly where his future might be going. That's my take on it. How do you guys think Mav's changed up by the end of this movie? grown up um i think you saw him start to realize what they get and kind of all these guys where it's their last hurrah that you know there's more than just what there is uh right in front of you and i think you see him kind of look to the future a little bit maybe try to foster that relationship with rooster a little more maybe even start to settle down with one penny benjamin i mean 
I think it was just kind of a almost a late coming of age. Yeah, because it shows him living in this hangar, essentially, right? Totally independent of other people. Sure, he has some pictures on the wall. Doesn't look like anything is recent other than the photos of Miles Teller. And 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 so then I think being in front of all of these students and realizing that their protection is his responsibility, I think, puts him in more of an empathetic state than what he probably ever could have reached without it and more of an extroverted state too because i think he would have been fine to just live in the hangar all on his own well my take was i mean from a legacy standpoint as well um i mean you could call it passing the baton but even you know even when uh and what's what is john ham's character's name here was it cyclone is that his call sign Am I just? I don't think so. He's the, he's the air boss more often than not. I'm not sure that they ever actually refer to him as anything other than that. But, so, and if anything, you know, realizing that from a collateral damage standpoint, that that John Hamm is is kind of looking at these guys as sacrificial lambs, and they've got one job to do, and it is cyclone. Oh, good call. Nice work, that, man. Actually, you are um, correct. That you know that if if anything, Maverick is not only there to teach them, but also to protect them. Because I mean. He he knows kind of like from a holistic standpoint what the what the end game here, and it's not just uh, to to fly today. Because I mean, he is a you know career Navy pilot, and so he has put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into you know into this this military branch. So I, I think if anything, he he sees this group as as maybe the the, the next guard, and you know I, I think it would be you know it, it would be against their best judgment to uh, to pull the trigger and try to make this a a trilogy. Um, but uh, de- definitely the the cast that is built up around around uh, Maverick definitely could hold their own if uh, if they ever should choose to wrongly do that. But uh, they definitely could at least try to try to make make a, a run at that. Well, I mean, if this thing makes eight hundred, nine hundred, maybe even reaches a billion dollars, they're going to be certainly trying to make another one. You can bet your bottom dollar of that, and who knows if it'll actually end up being as good as this one was. But uh. I guess I just – I wanted to do one, one other thing I wondered about Maverick overall in the movie was the Iceman of it all, right? Again, Maverick's journey I think relates to Iceman as well. I must admit, I know Val Kilmer has challenges in real life, but I sort of did find myself scratching my head saying, did we need Iceman to die? Did we really need to take Iceman off the board? And then I wonder – if you don't take Iceman off the board, does Maverick get anywhere near where we need him to? So I guess that's that's the, the Iceman of it all on Maverick's journey. What do you guys think of that part? Well, I do wonder if you can go into a trilogy without Iceman dying, if that is where they do want it to go eventually. And then it's Maverick taking his place at the helm and that's the next place he goes. Um, could be an interesting Mm, a slightly unbelievable transition, but it could happen, and that's not going to happen with with Iceman still alive. Chris, what'd you think of the Iceman of it all? I was real happy when I heard that Tom was adamant that Val had to be included in this project. Um, I thought it showed a lot of great respect. I'm glad he was in it. I'm mm-hmm. glad that he was on screen. I was glad that we heard some of his actual voice, I think. Um, so I'm just happy that he was in it. I think his character passing away is fine. I don't think it's that 
crazy to think that Maverick wouldn't have got there if he was still around or not. Um, I think eventually Maverick probably would have still made that run to show everybody that they could do it without, I don't know. I'm I'm fine with it. I don't think it mattered one way or the other too much. Mr. Roberts, I guess, you know, like I said, we, we have, uh, we see Goose, you know, die in the first one, and that's such a heavy moment. You know what I mean? The only, the only person we essentially see pass away in this movie, other than them telling us that Meg Ryan has passed away at a time before this movie itself, good, and uh, Rooster's mom. But what did you think of the Iceman? I think it had to happen. Um, I, I know you and I kind of text about this separately. Um, I think it sets up Maverick for this moment of, like, I'm on my own. I got to mm-hmm. do things right. I've got to be the bigger person now. I've got to be the role model. The What was the message on the screen? It's time to let go. Like he, it, yep. It's time for Maverick to let go of this. And I think that he holds Iceman in such regard that with Iceman being gone, like it's time to let go of all this stuff behind me and move forward. And can I also add, how awesome was it that in Maverick's phone, he gets texted by Ice. Ice. Yeah. <laughs> like just not even Iceman, not Lieutenant, Colonel, Admiral. Uh, it was Ice. Yeah. That was not, awesome. Not Admiral Kazansky, just yeah. Ice. <laughs> All right, let's move on to, I guess, small scene, right? Let's just, uh, we've talked overall about a lot of the big plays here. We haven't kind of gotten to the uh, the, the ending, and we'll kind of get to that here in a second. But what's like a favorite fall, a smaller scene of overall? Something where you're just like, man, that was awesome. So happy to see that. One of my. Oh, oh, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. I was going to say, one of my favorite ones uh, was, you know what? I think I'm going to let Kate, I think Kate mentioned hers in the outline. I want her to go first. Okay. So, so it was toward the beginning of the movie, again, when Maverick has first come into the bar, and it's very slow in the bar when this song plays, but they play Otis Redding's Tramp. And so Otis Redding, as I have written about many times in the blog, talked about many times on the podcast, is is my hero <laughs> and and personal favorite. And Tramp is not a he- song you hear very often. And so hearing the, the music drop of that song in this movie was just so sweet. And I think also a callback to the first movie where it's sitting on the dock of the bay, right? So they're in the bar and that song plays, I believe, is the scene then. So hearing Otis in both movies made me very, very happy. I clapped a little to myself when I heard that. I was about to say, my reaction to numerous scenes of this movie was the same reaction that Mrs. Morgan, you know, had when Otis came on. So yeah, that was definitely her favorite small scene. Chris, what were you going to go with? Oh, yeah, I was worried. I thought we were going to say the same thing, but I forgot about Otis Reddy. Of course, that's going to be Kate's favorite scene. (laughs) Mine mine was... Small moment, maybe not my favorite scene, but I did. I was a little giddy. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it when, and this is towards the end of the movie. You have Rooster Maverick running across this blown up airfield, and they're just kind of mumbling to themselves, like talking real quietly, and and their little interaction. And then all of a sudden, they're like, "Hey, let's start running." That was just hilarious to me. I thought they had real good chemistry. It was a great little scene. Yeah, and when they first land, and he's like, he's like, "What? I was saving you. You're not supposed to save me. What were you thinking?" And he's like, "You told me not to think." <laughs> right? <laughs> and he just it just shuts him up. He doesn't have anything to say. That was great. Jeff also has a good so one yeah, too. My, uh, it's it's a small moment, and it was like kind of like a one-two punch, if you will. It was when. Um, no, it's when Maverick is with Penny, and they think that the daughter is not going to be coming home, and then unbeknownst to them, she she's you know coming home. So, so good old Pete has to uh, 
you know, escape from the second floor and he falls down on the ground. And so nothing but laughter in the theater, but then boom, he pops up and the daughter's there and she's, and I'm paraphrasing, I forget exactly what the, you know, the phrase is, but she's like, you know, just don't break her heart again or something along those lines. So literally goes from like funny to an oh moment, like just like boom, boom. And so I just, I, I love that in regard to the, the kind of, they, they build it in, um, but it was like, you get, you get kind of a good, just really just real retro rewind of kind of he and Penny's relationship over the years that we didn't even see just within that, that little blip of, uh, of time. Mm-hmm. I like the, uh, the, the, the window too, is kind of like a little call out to Ethan Hunt, right? Like, you know, Tom worked for like a week on the proper way to do stunts to come out of that window. You know what I mean? Like, of course he did. He, you know what I mean? That was like, it was a little Ethan Hunt kind of there when he was, uh, when he was coming out of that window. Roberts, what do you got? Uh, my favorite little small moment was after uh, Mav steals the plane and makes the run on time, and he's meeting with John Hamm, and he goes, you kind of put me in a weird space. Uh, one, you just proved that you can do it. And uh, two, you just flew that plane so hard, it's probably not flyable anymore. And it was just like that funny little piece of shit. You put me in the wrong spot. Like, what am I supposed to do now? It was a nice put, put him in your place moment. It's almost like it's a callback sort of just the very beginning of the movie where that one guy's just giving it to Maverick and he's like, I'm giving you your shot. I'm sending you to Top Gun, right? He's just pissed yeah. about it, but he's got nothing else that he can do. Yep. I liked that part. All right. Well, let's go to most unbelievable moment of the movie, right? They do a very good job of keeping things pretty, you know, there's a bit of a noose here, right? This isn't a Marvel movie. We're not jumping through time and space and galaxies and things of that nature. But what's the most unbelievable moment of the movie kate we'll start here with you well kind of going back to what matt was just talking about and that that is that tom cruise actually steals that plane to show how the mission must be executed in two and a half minutes and why it needs to be flown so low to the ground and what he's doing but he and john ham says to him during that talking to you stole a multi-million dollar aircraft and now it's unflyable. And I just found that to be absolutely insane that you're stealing this and now we can't even fly it again and we're still going to let you be the team lead. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Then, you know, I understand that at some level missions need to be accomplished, but I mean, that's a court martial, right? I mean, come on. You know, I mean, Maverick, how many times has he probably had to have been court martialed in his career? And yet here's another one. It's like, no, not only are you not going to be court martialed, but we're going to let you lead this mission ultimately and you're going to get yourself more accommodations. So thanks for stealing that plane. Roberts, what do you got for the most unbelievable moment of the movie? Um, it's kind of a summation. Um, if he's really this frowned upon in the Navy and he's really got this all going on, he's not in the Navy. Like he's been in there plenty of times. Uh, he's going to get an honorable discharge. He's going to get his pension. They are not letting him within a hundred miles of an airfield. Right. Not going to happen. Yeah, but the plane I'm glad they did. Mach 10 with, right? Like that's another that you want to say to steal a plane. The dude's still a prototype airplane that does 9,000 miles an hour. Nah, not going to happen. No. Yeah. Not only does he steal it, he blows it up. You know what yeah. I mean? It ends up and people think he's an alien in some town <laughs> up in the upper northwest, I guess, is where we're supposed to think he lands there. That was already, you're just like, okay, we're in for new stuff here. That's exactly. Jeff, like, what, what do you got? Gonna, like, hone in on. I mean, it's that opening scene where he gets he gets to Mach 10, and then he keeps on pushing it to 10, 10.1, 10.2, 10.3, and then, you know, boom, they show in the sky the uh, the jet exploding and I must have had some some guy next to me in the theater that thought that this was going to be a like a military documentary because when the plane explodes and then they cut to the the Podunk <laughs> town the Podunk 1950s town he's like bullshit and I'm like 
I'm like, like you really, you really think that I'm going to kill a Maverick in the first like five minutes here, sir? What's what's, what's going on here? Yeah, exactly, so, I mean, man. <laughs> this ain't oh, executive shit. decision where we killed Kurt Russell. Yeah, you know right, what I mean? I this isn't that movie. Come on. Rattle. So that 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 to me was the kind of the most you know. It, great. It, it, it was it was great, but yeah, the the scene and the format. It's like where the hell did he go? Literally, I I had the vision that he went back in time. He went that fast that he got up to 88 miles an hour, and boom, he went back yeah. in time, and he's like <laughs> now in the past. And then it would have been a completely different movie at that point, too. <laughs> Chris, how about you? I, I, I got a feeling you're going to talk about some old technology here, knowing you. <laughs> if you want to talk unbelievable in the movie, there's there's what I should talk about is how Tom Cruise ever had any sort of real feelings towards this Penny girl. I didn't see one picture of her up on his wall. Um, <laughs> right. But... What I will bring up is when he takes on the two Gen 5 jets with that old F-14, I think that was pretty unbelievable. But if anybody can do it, of course, it'd be Maverick. And and the way he took out that first one, just just whipping it around, shooting his gun, and then just taking that first one out right away, and then actually fighting off the other one, it was just it was a bit unbelievable, but cool as hell. I want to I want to go back to the movie's casting right here because I want to play off of what Chris talked about right there. Let's not forget shout out to our guy Glenn Powell, aka Hangman, who also swoops in and saves the day there and takes out one of the planes, even though they've told him back on the aircraft that he's not allowed to get up and get into it. So he goes ahead and pulls his own Maverick stunt, right? Learn from the best. Why not act like the best? That he shows that he can be the wingman to Rooster or perhaps Mav again in the future. So as we talked earlier about the sequel, I think maybe that ending, let Hangman get up there and get himself yet another confirmed dogfight kill, which we're told at the beginning he's one of the few there that actually has one of those, definitely could set him up for cool things in the future. So how about just the overall casting? Did you guys love the overall casting or did you think, you know, it would have been cool if there was somebody else a tad bit different? I really enjoyed the casting and I, and I do want to talk a little bit more about Jennifer Connelly in this. Um, I just thought her character was really lovely. I, I, you know, we, we've talked before about Tom Cruise not having a lot of chemistry with his female co-stars. And I thought there was just enough to make it believable and it worked just fine. And she made it, I think, that much better. So I thought her acting was great. I think she looks great. She looks like she's in her mid fifties, which I think is also important for female actresses. She has not been done up in any way. Um, and so, so I really liked her character quite a bit. And I think ultimately, real quick with her as well, I mean, let's not forget she's an admiral's daughter. You know what I mean? Like, this is kind of her life, right? It sort of is believable that maybe she would decide that she's pretty comfortable making her way at a Navy bar. You know what I mean? So just all of it, all of it makes sense. You know, I mean, Chris, I'm sort of with you, right? And again, we talked about this just, I think that's just bringing the Tom Cruise of it all into it, right? Why wouldn't Maverick have feelings for somebody? We just think he couldn't because Tom Cruise seems like a cyborg who has feelings for nobody. And so I think that's, that's the only reason it's maybe not believable. I'm just saying that. I thought Jennifer Connelly's character was was great. I liked her being the, you know, the sassy bar owner or or the strong like doesn't gonna take any shit type of person. You know, doesn't put up with Maverick shit. I think all of that could have been accomplished. Her still giving him the, you know, the mentorship or to hear what he really needs to hear uh, could all have been done without the romantic aspect of it. All right, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Well, let's uh, let's let's end here. Let's 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 start to round this uh, plane in. Let's do the let's do the final mission here. Let's do 
is the final ending of the movie ultimately your favorite part or is there something else that you would throw out as just your absolute favorite part that brought up the most nostalgia you know whatever there's a couple of questions you all remember from the outline just just hit them here and kind of and kind of a group i'll go to um, you first jeff no i mean i think i think just the overarching theme of you know they started off the movie with the pitch of exactly what the mission was going to be and so at least to you know kind of hone in on this you you didn't get distracted either because actually whenever they did the initial bar scene and they started introducing the characters. I was like, holy shit, there's a lot of people here. Um, but ultimately, I mean, it panned out and just uh, kind of hit back on the, on the cast moment. I mean, no, the cast was phenomenal and they played perfect with Tom Cruise. So, <clears throat> I mean, there was nobody really out of their league in regard to uh, going head to head with them. So, no, I think, I think if anything, the, the tactics that they used for, um, you know, even him stealing the plane, not getting booted out of the military, you know, kind of that, that little bit of the, you know, the, you know, there is a little <laughs> bit of checking your mind a little bit at the door, but I mean, it was, it, there were some smart aspects to this movie overall that I, I think made it, you know, not just a, a popcorn, you know, summer blockbuster hit. I mean, there's, there's some substance to it that actually made you feel, feel some warm and fuzzies, if you will. Oh, I mean, come on. Warm and Fuzzies is definitely the theme of this. Absolutely. But Mr. Roberts, is it when he hones in and hits that first target? Or is it better when Goose then finally comes back in? Because we all know Goose is finally going to engage, right? But when Goose engages and hits that second target, you know, and and, and your guy Bob finally locks it in. Rooster? Rooster, Yeah, I was going to say, you mean Rooster. Excuse me. I gotcha. Uh, my my favorite scene was the first training scene. I loved the ending. I thought it was great how everybody came together, but... Watching that portion of, and it kind of, you know, we'll go the nostalgia route there. When all the pilots in the first one are getting shot down by Viper and everybody's like all disgruntled. It's like, ah, oh, but you didn't get oh, to shit, see it. Oh shit, Viper's up here? Right. I love that. But to see the opposite of them being like, oh, okay, Maverick's here, whatever. And he's hovering underneath them and they don't know it. And he's like, all right, let's go. Shoop, right up the middle. Like that to me was the ultimate part of the movie was just him showing him. I'm better than you, and you're not better than me, so shut up and listen. Yeah, he was just toying with him. Yeah, hit the brakes, fly right by him. So, Chris, I want to go to you on the anticipation question that I had here, and then we'll and then we'll let, we'll let everybody can touch on that here. You 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 anticipated this movie. We built it up so much. You said you almost weren't going to see it. You said you wanted to go along with America. So, I mean, have you ever had a movie that you were – and I'm, I'm coloring you here, but I think I know where you're going to answer. Have you ever had a movie that you've that anticipated that much and just didn't let you down at all? I find that quite amazing, and I wonder if you agree with me, and I think you do. Yeah, I, I do. And I'll be honest, it really exceeded my expectations. Uh, I was very, very impressed. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Uh, it was everything I wanted. I got some Kenny Loggins. I got a lot of fire. I got a lot of dog fights. I got some real in in flight camera work. It was fantastic. Mr. Van Vactor, you as well there. Your your anticipation, I guess, almost kind of moving forward out of this movie, right? We've kind of joked around about the third. We've also kind of talked about how people were back in theaters for the first time and there was something cool in that. You know, do you do you anticipate going to the theaters more? Or do you think we're gonna see a summer of a whole bunch of blockbusters? Are we gonna are we gonna learn in a couple of weeks now that we got Top Gun four or Top Gun three, excuse me, coming in two years? Well, I mean, you know, and it, where's your anticipation no, I mean, if, if label anything, at there? One, you got people back together. You got and granted we don't need to go dark on this podcast, but I mean, there's some real world shit that's going on right now that, you know, for, you know, two, two plus hours, this was a kind of a, a very good relief. 
of being able to get back in the theaters, enjoy yourself once again, and watch a phenomenal movie. So, um, I mean, from the anticipation standpoint, I kind of, I kind of wish they stopped here. Uh, but you know, it's all about the almighty dollar because this thing has got the trajectory to, you know, get past a half a bill and then some. Um, so definitely this, this, gosh, no pun intended, but the sky's the limit for him. Um, but, but it's, uh, no, so, but, but if anything, it's, it was a phenomenal movie. Uh, very impressed with everything that was done. And, and a little special shout out, Rod. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, my younger brother, he went to school with a gentleman named Thomas Flynn. And he was actually, uh, the pilot, one of the pilots in, um, that was, Working behind the scenes uh, for the for those scenes, so Plymouth Plymouth's own Thomas Flynn was flying those jets in the movie. I just read that the other day. I thought that was so cool. How about that? Good for that guy. I mean, we all know Tom Cruise does his own flying, and that guy was probably just there to you know make sure things didn't go wrong. But you know, shout out to that guy, <laughs> Mr. Roberts. I want to ask you flat out: Do you want to see Top Gun three? No. Really? I see. I'm, we all know it's coming, but you won't see it. Come on, you'll see no, it. No, no, no. I'll see it. I'm not an idiot. I don't want it. I think they've made two perfect movies, and we've we've all seen this start to happen. When you start going three, you start going spinoffs. Some of that magic gets lost. I don't know. And I'm I don't on know. such a high on this that maybe give me ten years. How jacked are you for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning? Come on, man. The preview of that beforehand, that's like Mission Impossible 7, and you know you're straight dead jacked for that. I'm going to cause a lot of controversy right here. Not a big Mission Impossible guy. Get out of here. Because you know why? There's been seven or eight of them, so they sound pretty possible. All right. right, I'll give you that then. You're staying staying to your stance there, but that was something else. They're fun, but I just don't get as hype as I do for Top Gun. I mean, I looked over at Kate, and I was just like, I was like, I'm already sweating. That's what I, that's what I said to Kate. It was, just, it was just the preview for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. All right, well, I think we should start to wrap it up here. We don't try to go too too incredibly long for everybody. I just, I know I had an incredible time. I want to say thank you very much to all of the different players from the Morganino universe who aided and abetted me in this insane Tom Cruise fetish that I had for this weekend. I want to just say again, we did it. We did it. We were on to something. America was excited. Thank you. We did pretty darn good numbers for this meager little podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you out there who were checking in with the Morgan you know because you knew I was excited for Top Gun. And darn it, a lot of you were excited for Top Gun too. And what a good time we had with one another along the way. Any final words, Mr. King, before we go home? Go watch it again. I, if you're listening to this podcast, you've watched it. Go watch it again. Good advice, Mr. Roberts. Final words. Um, it was just perfect. That's that's all I can say. I think that's pretty good, Mr. Van Vactor. Oh, come on, give us Show give us something deep real. here, Tell Jeff. What do you got? I'd, I'd say let's uh, let's help America Cinema and go see it again. And even if you hadn't seen it, Rod's synopsis at the beginning was phenomenal. So, and it, with, with the assistance of Kate, I guarantee it. Uh, but no, it was, uh, it was spot on. And so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> perfect, astounding. I mean, get the, the source out here because I mean, you can literally pick anything out of positive vibes and that's, that's what this movie was.
All right, now we're going to give the final word to the most important person on this <laughs> podcast. She did more work than I did. Trust me. She put up with so much garbage. I literally have Highway to the Danger Zone and the, te- and the theme to Top Gun in my Spotify most played. I was listening to it all weekend. She would just turn around and I would fire up the theme song on my phone. I mean, I was just completely insane to deal with. So, Mrs. Morgan, you know, the final word and the floor is yours. Just to echo what Matt said, this movie was perfect. And I think more than that, it was something that we all needed in our country after an incredibly, incredibly difficult and very sad week, what we had last week. So to take two hours and 15 minutes and take a little bit of a breather from that and a breather from all the contentious behavior that we are witnessing and all of the very angry and upset people and what we're all feeling personally and have a little bit of fun and and a little bit of nostalgia for a movie that so many of us have have seen before and, and what this looks like. I just couldn't have been happier um, and more emotionally excited uh, than I was seeing that movie. So you're right, Chris, see it again. Like, see it again and continue to enjoy it. Um, and and I, I think we will, too. I think we'll go see it again soon. I'm looking forward to it. I think we might take the uh, mother, you know, to go uh, to go see the movie here uh, pretty soon. She was uh, She was pretty excited about going to see it, so she may go see it with us. Go and listen to some of our other podcasts, if you wouldn't mind, please. If this was the first time you'd come around and heard some of us here on the Morgan Eno Podcast Network, thanks for checking us out. We have Balls and Brew, where me and Chris, who you heard throughout this podcast, will uh, have assorted others on, chopping up sports. Chris, we're probably going to get something on the NBA Finals here soon, wouldn't you think? Oh, definitely, because it's going to be a wild finals. Absolutely. So check us out there. Jimmy Jamriska is the executive producer of this podcast. Him and I will be your source for all things wrestling. And there is a premium live event coming up later this weekend on the WWE's calendar. So Jimmy and I will probably have something to say about that. So you can check that out in this very feed. Other than that, thank you so much for listening. Thank you all for being here. And Chris, the final, final word is actually yours. Goodbye, Internet.